Thanks, you guys. That was awesome. Way to go. Aren't they great? What a treat. Wish we could all be gifted in that, right? Well, maybe not all. It's nice to enjoy that as well. Hey, we're going to be in uh, the book of Ephesians. If you would turn there in your Bibles, I'd appreciate that. The book of Ephesians, chapter, <coughs> chapter 4. We paused our series uh, with kind of a final sermon in that pause or that section last week. Uh, the sermon series we were in was written so that you might believe. It was a harmonization of the Gospels, looking at the life and work of Jesus Christ. Uh, we will come back to that sermon series where we left off uh, next fall. Uh, right now we have a, just a short three-week sermon series on discipleship, and uh, you'll see that in your sermon notes. Uh, I'll actually pull it out of, the, out of the bulletin. You have a bulletin like this. There's sermon notes inside of that. Uh, discipleship series is Be Discipled, Make Disciples. That's kind of the, the punchline, the tagline of that. It looks like this. And on the back of that is a bunch of discussion questions. If you flip it over, because it's upside down, right? You flip it over. Uh, there's a bunch of discussion questions that you can go home and, and talk through with your family. Uh, there are a lot of scriptures there to read. Uh, this is kind of interesting as we go back to a topical sermon series. Usually I, I enjoy preaching exegetically through a text or through a book of the Bible like we've been doing. Uh, but once in a while there's a need for a topical uh, sermon series, and we're doing that today. But what it doesn't lend itself to all the time is finding a passage of Scripture, reading it, contextualizing it, really really breaking it apart. There are several passages of Scripture worthy of that today. So I, I say that so that you will go and not just read the one verse or the five verses I gave you in the notes, but that you will go with your family and you'll read that passage of Scripture for the proper context so you can really hold on to uh, from your heart with your heart what God has to say for us. Amen? Um, so today we will be reading parts of those passages, and I will do the best to contextualize it. One of the, the fears or the, uh, the concerns often that I, that I would have for myself is that I would proof text a sermon. I, I would come up with a point that's wonderful because, you know, that's the way I communicate, and then I would just give a bunch of scripture to back it up and support my point. That is not how we are to preach the Word of God, right? We are to go to the Word of God for what it is, learn from it, and find it instructing us, not it supporting our ideas. Amen? So we have to be very careful when we topically approach. I can give you a verse for really any position I want to have to kind of support it or pretend it supports it. So we have to be careful of that. Make sure, please, you go home and contextualize and, and read through this. Also, you shouldn't just be trusting me. I mean, I, I am going to be as faithful as I possibly can, uh, seek the counsel of the Spirit and, and great commentaries and great people who expound on God's Word for you and for my sake, but you should not ever just put all your faith in a person. Go and test it, read it, look at it, uh, mull it over for yourself. Make sure you find what God's Word is supposed to mean uh, for us, all right? So we are going to be in Ephesians, uh, but during this, and, and it, we're just going to spend a, a brief amount of time there. Next week, we'll kind of start breaking some of that down. We'll see a little bit more of it clearly, but I want to set a stage for what discipleship is looking like and, and why, why it's important. Um, in, in this series, we're going to have three sermons. Today's is, is called Vulnerable Community. We have kind of t looked at as a staff and, and developed um, a, a program, I guess you call it, or, or a way to really think about discipleship in a simple manner. You know, Jesus was on the earth and he called disciples, right? He called those, those people around him to, to follow him and to make, be fishers of men, to go out and share the gospel with people. And, and those who would believe by faith, trust in faith in Jesus Christ, would become Christ followers, right? And they were disciples, so they added to their number. And that's you and I. The, the church, the body of Christ, are the disciples. And so today, you and I have a mandate as disciples that Jesus, when he left, he spoke to his disciples. And he said, listen, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. So he's talking to disciples. And he says, your job is to go and make 
disciples. So there's two aspects as we look at discipleship that I think are important for us to think about as we go through this process. Number one is this, not on your notes, not number one. The first thing is that, that we would be a disciple. That we would have at some point in our life come face to face with Jesus Christ and understood our deep need for him, right? The, the, the word of God says that every one of us has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. That we have, we have through our sin separated and broken our relationship with God. Now, I'm a fix-it kind of guy, right? And especially as a man in a marriage, that could be dangerous. Am I right, guys? Try to fix it. They come to give you the problem. They just want you to be, want to be heard, and then you try to fix it. And, and listen, I'm not a pro at a lot of the stuff, right? I'm not the professional. Sometimes I'll be in the fix-it mode where, oh, my faucet's leaking. I can take care of that. And I probably could, right, hours later. In fact, here's a story for you about fixing it. My, my starter was going out on my pickup. Oh, it's a starter. Come on. I, I know how to change a starter. I've done that before, you know, when they were... It was an older truck and easier access to it. But I, I get under my truck. It was a rainy day. I'm like, no problem. I'll be under the truck. Not a big deal. It's going to help, help cover me, right? So I get under the truck, and, of course, I've had the hood open, and the water is dripping, and it turns out it was dripping down to the starter and off the starter onto my face. So I'm underneath this trying to, trying to get my wrench. You know, there, there's the starter's in there, and you've you got to get a, a wrench in to pull this big pin out of the middle of it to drop it out. Well, I got the pin out, but I didn't know how I was getting it out of there. I mean, I, there was, it, to me, there was no feasible way. I'm like, you got to drop the engine and get this thing out of here. I'm, so I had spent probably an hour and a half tinkering with this, because that's all I was doing, I was tinkering. And finally, I'm like, I'm done. I put that pin back in there, tighten it up, and I called Beers Auto. I'm like, I'm coming down. You got an opening? <laughs> right? We call the professional, right? So when we talk about discipleship, uh, the idea, we, we, we want to, think, or think about this. We go back to it, be, being a disciple. You and I can only be a disciple when we, when we throw in the towel and say, I can't fix or resolve the broken relationship I have with God. I can't earn my way. I can't do enough good. I can't look clean enough and clean my, clean my act up enough to when I stand before God that he'll be like, all oh, right, you're perfect, good job. None of us can do that. So it, it, it's kind of nice. It's refreshing. It all puts us in the same boat. It's the failure boat, but it puts us in the same boat. And, and that's where Jesus comes in. He's like, I, I'm going to come, and I've done it for you. While you sinned and broke your relationship and fellowship with God, Jesus came to restore that relationship and fellowship with God. See, while you couldn't earn your way and you couldn't be good enough and you couldn't go to the cross and pay for your own sins, that's what you and I deserved, and then be right with God. That's just the, the punishment that would go on us. Jesus said, you know what? I'll, I got your back. I'll do it for you. I'll come down. And we, we just spent a big season of Advent going through the gospel and looking at Luke and Matthew and Jesus coming to earth. But Jesus came down, God in the flesh, right? Fully God, fully man. He was fully man so he could die in your place and in my place. So you and I didn't have to fix it. We could get, get the professional that took care of it all. He died in our place. And then because he's fully God, he rose from the dead. And because he's fully God, he lived a sinless life as a man. He was tempted in every way as we are, but he was without sin. See, here's the message of the gospel. You can't make it, but Jesus did for you. That if you and I would trust him in faith and believe what he did, that we would be saved or rescued and forgiven. And here's what we, we cry out from the depth of our heart. And we say, God, I need you. I don't, it's not me anymore. I need you. I need what you offered, what you've done for me on the cross. And he takes our filthy rags and he, he, he disposes of those. And he says, I'm going to wrap you up. When you trust me in faith, I'll wrap you in my perfect robe of righteousness. You don't have to wear your filthy rags anymore. In fact, I'm going to cover that up. I'm going to clean you up. The sin that you committed is, is now going to be as far as the east is from the west. 
Those sins, right? The, the sins that you and I have committed that broke our relationship with God are now removed from us because of faith in Christ. He removes them as far as the east is from the west. He buries them on the bottom of the ocean floor. He remembers them no more. Amen? That's the beauty of the gospel. And when we in faith have gone to Christ in faith to trust Him as our Savior, we become a disciple. We become a Christ follower at that point. And today, the two aspects we're looking at is, is be a disciple and make disciples. So how do we be a disciple? Well, we enter into that relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have not entered into that relationship by faith in Jesus Christ, you're not a disciple. You're, you're out there still, and he, he's drawing you. He's saying, I'm here, I'm here. I want you to come to faith. I've done this all for you. Stop trying it on your own. Stop trying to work it out. But actually, I, come to me in faith because I've taken care of it. He wants you to trust him in faith today. Believe the gospel and be saved. And then for those of us that have done that, we're now a disciple. And, and we have marching orders that we need to grow in our faith in Jesus Christ. And as disciples, we need to go. We need to grow and we need to go and make other disciples, sharing this good news all around the world. I'm going to share this model next week. I'll bring a, uh, I'll, I'll bring a slide or something for you. A lot of people think, well, once I become a Christian, then it's different people's gifts or, or opportunities or their responsibility to be the evangelist, right? The pastor, he'll share the gospel. And, and this, this model was pretty intense. Uh, imagine this, like if, if I shared the gospel uh, with uh, th- one person a day, 365 a year, got to hear the gospel and trust Jesus in faith. I mean, that'd be crazy, amazing, way, way awesome, right? And, and I did that year after year after year for years, right? And I'll show you this model next year or next week, not next year. <laughs> Next week, I'll show you this, but let's, that's, you'll see. What have I added? Every year, I just add 365 more, but it's a pyramid scheme, right? If you, if you and I would take on just two people, right, or if I started that, just two people, and then those two people took on two people the next year, not, not saying every day, if two people in this year would come to faith because of one person being a disciple who makes disciples, and then those two would share their faith and disciple two more each. You see how that grows exponentially? We're talking multiplication by by crazy factors. This is an exponential bomb that goes off. And after like 10 or 15 years, you guys have way, way out out past me or any single individual of just sharing their faith. It's not one person's responsibility. We are all called as disciples, first to trust Christ as Savior so that we might be a disciple, and then we are called to be disciples who make disciples. And then we, today we're going to start talking about, talking about what that looks like. Go and make disciples, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very ends of the earth. You know, here's one of the things that keeps us from sharing our faith and, and making disciples. I'm not equipped or I'm, I'm not smart enough. I don't have all the answers that I need. It's okay. God calls you. God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. So if you and I would just trust in him and keep the gospel and his son central in our lives, he will grow us and he will mold us and he will give us the words to say. And by the power of his spirit, we can share Christ with people around us. Right? So discipleship is a, is a beautiful thing. It's a deep thing, but it's a responsibility of every Christ follower. That's my introduction, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So there's going to be three aspects um, of this sermon series, three sermons. The first sermon talking about discipleship is vulnerable community. So that, that's really where we're going to camp most of, most of today. I'll give you some thoughts about it kind of as it points to next week. But next week's sermon is, is shepherding towards submission. So we participate in or facilitate vulnerable community. Now, 
granted, right? There's two aspects in discipleship. I'm always a disciple, and I should be making disciples. And here's that imagery. I've, showed this, I've shared this with you before. If I'm a disciple of Christ, if I have trusted in faith, Jesus is my Savior. If he's forgiven me of his righteousness, now I'm a disciple. I should have my hand reaching forward and up, up the hill, up the mountain, and grabbing onto someone else's hand who is stronger and more mature and, and more developed in their faith. I should have somebody in front of me. But I also should be reaching down the mountain and grabbing hands with somebody that is beneath me down the mountain a little further so that I may be picking them up as I'm built up. We're building each other up and encouraging each other all the more. We are to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who you see how this goes? We just It doesn't stop. When you trusted Christ as Savior, it didn't stop. It started. You're not done. God's not done with you and God's not done using you to disciple somebody else. Write this down in your notes. Who's my one in front of me? And who's my one behind me? Some of you might think, oh, I'm, I'm too weak. I, I can't do it. I'm not ready yet. Well, maybe, maybe that's true in some ways. You're emotionally unstable or you're just, you can't do it. You need to go to that one in front of you and get some strength. You need to go to the Word and get some strength. You need to gather together with believers and get some strength. But God will equip you as you are faithful to reach down and start picking somebody up. I guarantee you somebody's worse off than you are in their faith. Guaranteed. So we're going to talk about facilitating, participating in vulnerable community. We facilitate as a discipler. I'm going to facilitate a time where you can be vulnerable. But I'm also going to be, as a disciple, participating in vulnerable community with somebody else. And that's the, the crux of today. So today is facilitate and participate in vulnerable community. Next week we'll talk about shepherding towards submission. So we should be shepherded by somebody else towards submitting to the Lord and to the Word. And we should be shepherding somebody else along the way to submit to the Lord and to the Word. And finally, we should be equipped or equipping others to use their gifts. I want to be being equipped by somebody to be using my gifts for the kingdom of God, and I want to be equipping somebody else to do that as well. All right? So we're going to pray, and I'll get into Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll get into our text. Father, thank you so much for this great day you've given us to come and to worship you. God, to open your word, and God, that, that we, are, we are expecting you and the power of your word to do something in our hearts today. So we ask that you would prepare our hearts, open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to what it says to us today. God, that you would challenge us and you would change us. God, you would convict us of sin. God, you would make us so aware of our need for you. God, for those who haven't trusted you in faith as Savior, God, I pray that they would see their need for you, that they cannot fix it on their own, but you can and have. So God, we commit our time to you. Conform us into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So we're in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 11 and read through 16. Again, you can read this whole thing for context more uh, later on. So 11, what I say through 15, 16. Through 15, 16. Okay. Uh, starting at 11, Paul says, <clears throat> And he himself, that is Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ. Uh, we should always be looking for those instances of why is, why is this here? To build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. So here's the litmus test. It's not my own test. It's not someone else's test. God's Word is the test. The standard is there. It's Christ's fullness that we're trying to aspire towards. It's not our own idea. He goes on, verse 14. 
then we will no longer, so once we're there and mature, then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by, by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for the building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Now, we are gonna, we're going to break this apart a little more next week and more the week after. But I wanted to set the stage there, that there is a unity that we are to share as we gather together, that we are to aspire to. So as a disciple, it's not me being a lone ranger on my own. Oh, God will lead me and guide me, and I'll figure it out as I go. No, we are to do this together and to reach unity. It says that we would build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity, measured by Christ's fullness. How do we do that? We do that together. So what is that, what is that going to look like? What is discipleship going to look like? Well, I've got five aspects of discipleship that are important, and, and they're written down in your notes. You see the five points there. Let's go into that. Number one, if we really want to participate in vulnerable community, if that's an important aspect of discipleship, then we ought to, number one, love one another. We ought to love one another. Isn't that heartwarming? Just love, right? And we, we say, oh, I love you. I'm here. I'm here for you. Let me know if I can do anything. There's a deeper love than that. I'm going I'm to go through a lot of different uh, verses here, and they're, they're on your sermon notes. You can keep up with me if you want to. I will ask you a couple times to turn with me, and we'll, we'll turn together. But right now, I'm going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and I want to I want to show, again, this unity that we should share in the faith, reaching the fullness of maturity in Christ, and that, that should be central. The gospel is central in that. But then what does that love look like? What does our relationship with one another look like? So in 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verses 4 or 3 through 5, Paul writes this. He says, I, I urged you when I went to Macedonia to remain in Ephesus. So he wants Timothy there. And why? So that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These uh, promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. So always, always in our walk, always in, our op- in these times where we want to be in community with people, there are going to be those folks who say, I can do it on my own. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to work out my own salvation. I'll get close to God on my own. And they will give you all kinds of methods to do that and seven tips to that and 18 things you can do to promote this. And they're all wrong. They might sound right, they might tickle your ears, but what Paul is saying is like, listen, we need to make sure we're united on the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Then that's the important part. He wants to make sure it's united, that the do- false doctrine is out and truth is in. Pay no attention to myths and endless genealogies because they're going to creep in. People are going to give you all kinds of weird ideas. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which yeah, operates by faith. Now the goal, now verse 5, he says this, now the goal of our instruction. So when we talk about discipleship and we talk about vulnerable community, it's not just a, oh, thanks for sharing your feelings, and and it's not one of those times. It's feelings plus we need to go to the Word of God. We need to find instruction about how to deal with our emotions and and how how we should let the Word of God inform our emotions and inform our feelings and inform our hope and inform our joy. And that's next week's sermon. We're going to be shepherded towards submission to the, to the Lord and to His Word. Here's, now the goal of our instruction is love. Why do we do this? Why do we continue to promote Jesus and lift up the gospel? Out of love. That comes, and here's the important part here, that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. 
See, love is going to keep us in line with Christ and the gospel of, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we, when we do this and participate in vulnerable community, we do it out of love. So what, what are those descriptions of love? It's a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. We should not be pushy, like, oh, you're doing this wrong, and here's, here's what you need to do to get, get lined up here. Get, get your act together. We, when we come and we instruct and when we give advice, we do it out of the sincerity, out of the purity of our heart, out of a sincere faith in love with one another. That's, in fact, how we love one another. It would be unloving for me as a parent if I didn't discipline and instruct my children. No, no, you can run amok and do it. It would also be unloving if I just lorded it over them. You will do what I want you to do. Put the military uniform on. Say yes, sir. Say yes, ma'am. Speak only when spoken to. That's not what we're talking about either. That's not love. There is compassion and grace that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. John 13, 34, and 35, kind of the motto, the verse for our church that we've had on our wall in our office for a long time. I think it's so important to see this. Uh, I give you a new command, Jesus says. Love one another. Oh, I do. I, I love them. Okay, let's test it. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. What did Jesus model for us? Perfect, agape, self-sacrificial love. Where was it modeled most? Right there on a wooden cross. He laid his life down in love for you and for me. So when he says love one another, that's your new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. We are to follow that example of humble obedience to the Father and laying ourselves down for our brothers and sisters. And he goes on, he says, by this love, by this Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, the world wants to see that shocking, selfless love. And it's not present very much in the world. I mean, some people kind of get it and they want to serve and love. But when we see Jesus, we see the example, the model. And when we have Jesus here, he informs and he instructs and he lets me obey in that kind of loving way with my brothers and sisters. We are to love. We talk about vulnerable community. It is to be done in love that we would love like Jesus loved. And, and as we do that, the world is going to see. Uh, Stephanie, you mentioned this uh, from the song. They're going to see, all will see what? How great, how great is our God. Turn to 1 Corinthians with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Back here. <clears throat> this, is a, uh, this is a love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Right? If, if, if you're married, you, maybe 80% of you probably had this verse read at your, at your uh, wedding ceremony. I almost said funeral service. That's horrible, right? It wasn't a funeral, it was a, it was a wedding. <laughs> if, if you're a believer, probably 80% of you had this read at your wedding, at your wedding ceremony. Right? It's just a love chapter. I, I wanna, I'm going to give you a reminder about that kind of love here in a minute. Okay? There's a contrast. He starts off in verse 1, and then he contrasts in verse 4. Let's read 1 through, one through 3 together. It says, if I speak human or angelic tongues, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but if I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Paul sets the stage here. He's writing to the Corinthian church, saying, listen, you, you can show off. You can look how good you are. You can think how good you are. You can speak big language and, 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 and angelic tongues. Like you, you, 
people are just hanging on every word. But if you don't have love, it's worthless. It's meaningless. I wrote this down in my notes, and you can write it in yours if you want. Love is not clingy. Love is not clingy, right? It's not a clinging symbol. I put clingy. That's probably not a word, but I wrote it. Love is not clingy. We shouldn't be clanging loudly about, look how great I am. We should be humbly loving, compassionately loving, graciously loving people towards Jesus. So he, he models that. He says, what's next? Listen up, married couples, if you had this read, listen to this. Remember what you thought when you got married, what was important. Paul says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not irritable and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That's the picture we see of love. Now, I'm going to just do a shameless plug right now because I think it fits, and I want to shepherd you this way. If you're a married couple, we've been talking about and promoting the Weekend to Remember Marriage Conference for the last probably month. Uh, I think there's information in your bulletin about it. I've sent an email out to you um, as married couples. I I would so encourage you to think about or consider going to the Weekend to Remember Marriage Conference. Uh, It is an amazing time to rekindle, get rid of our clanginess, right? We all have it. I mean, I've got clanginess in my marriage. I know at times I'm just clingy and not loving. Right? And I, and I want to grow in patience and in kindness and not envy and no boasting and no arrogance. I want to grow in those things so that my love can grow for my wife and for my children. So it, this marriage conference is not just for those who are struggling. It's those for, who are not. It's just an encouragement, a building up in your marriage. So please, if you're interested in that or you've been considering it and you, you're not considering it anymore, maybe reconsider it uh, and go. My wife and I are going. I know there's been a several, several couples that have signed up to go as well. I'd love to see more of us involved in that and just just because marriage is so important. That, that relationship is something that should be modeled after Christ's relationship with his bride, and that is such an important model for us to show our children and our church family and the community that marriage is important, and that's how we should love one another. So more information, come see me later on. You can, we can talk more about it. But I want you to see the attitude here. The attitude of love at the end of this verse, in verse 7, it says, love bears all things, it believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's the kind of relationship we should have when we enter into vulnerable community. When we participate in vulnerable community, that's what it should look like. And when we facilitate vulnerable community for somebody else, that's what it should look like. Number two, the next aspect of vulnerable community is this. Do not forsake gathering. Do not forsake gathering. Or here's a little easier. Make sure you get together. Make sure you gather together. Uh, The book of Hebrews, the author there writes about this, and I'm going to read a portion of scripture out of Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25. The writer says, Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. Now, that, that's the goal. I, that's the goal. We're to hold on to this confession of our hope without wavering. And that's the confession we've talked about, that we have confessed faith in Jesus Christ, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is it. He has finished it and done all the work for us. And when we have faith in him, we hold on to that. Satan wants us to let, loosen, our, loosen our grip on, on Jesus and, and wonder, are we really secure? Are we really uh, forgiven? Yes, God forgave you. If you entered into that relationship with him, if you have trusted him in faith, he has forgiven you. So hold on to that confession of that hope without wavering. That's the goal of this, this text. And he goes on, since he who promised is faithful, right? You don't have to be the best. He was. 
He'll always be faithful. Then in verse 24, it says, and let us watch out. So how do we hold on to this confession? Let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. So you and I should be having each other's back. When do we do that? When do, it's when we see each other. We should be in relationship with other people so they can see us and we can see them and we can have their back. I can't have your back if you're not present and you can't have my back if I'm not present. It takes gathering. He goes on, he says, we, we want to watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. So in verse 25, we don't neglect, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but in encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching. It is essential that we gather together. Now listen, I, I think there are two aspects of gathering that are very important. One is the corporate collective time where we come to gather and worship Jesus. And we devote ourselves to the teaching of God's word from a called elder teacher. That's so important for us to do. To, and, I, and I love to be, I'm, listen, I'm taught from the scriptures as I preach. I'm taught as I prepare. And I love to sit under another pastor's teaching as well so I can be submissive to what God is teaching us. It's so important for us to do that. And then it shows the unity we share and the community we share as we offer our praise and worship to God. We say, God, this is all about you. And it makes a statement to the people around us. So important. But when we talk about growth, when we talk about like community and vulnerable community, that does not happen very well in rows. I mentioned that last week, right? Where does it happen? It happens in circles. It happens when we're face to face, eyeball to eyeball, tears or laughs or whatever it is. It's all there together face to face. There's no discussion. You, you aren't asking questions now. You're not like, hey, what about this? And I'm having a bad week. That's not what happens here. But it happens in our groups. We have Sunday school groups that meet. We have people that meet for coffee and talk about the word of God. That's why we get, gave you the discussion sheet on the back of the sermon notes. Go and get face to face, eyeball to eyeball with somebody. Enter into vulnerable community. Participate in vulnerable community. Facilitate vulnerable community so that you can grow in your faith. Do not forsake gathering together. It is so important. Statistically, thinking about our church, just where we're at, I'm not, here, I'm not judging. I, I want you to grow and, and get face-to-face and have those times where you can grow. <clears throat> but I'll just, I'm going to tell you that there's probably two groups of people here. There's the, there's the sporadics and, the, and just the totally committed. So overarching, people would say, well, people tend, attend church about one out of every three weeks. That's, that's when they actually say, I'm going to gather, one out of every three weeks. Now, I know that's not true of you, right? You're here all the time. And some of you are like, I'm here every week, and I, and I get that, right? You prioritize it. It's part of your family. You don't have to work. You don't have to be out of town. It is, that's just what we do on Sunday morning. We go and be a part of the fellowship. Awesome, right? I, I love that. And there's some that we can't always do that. We try the best we can. But it's interesting that when we meet one time out of three weeks, or one maybe out of four weeks, we don't grow like we should grow. We aren't nurtured as we should be nurtured. We aren't able to nurture as we should be nurturing. There, there's, a, there's a priority we should place on the gathering together of the believers corporately like this and weekly. I want to read a passage out of Acts chapter 2. Turn there with me if you would, please. The book of Acts chapter 2. I want to show this, this picture of the early church and, and the priority they made it. Listen, they had lives too. I know they didn't have smartphones and tablets and have you know, everything at their fingertips and everyone had a need and text them every 20 seconds. I know that wasn't happening. And, and maybe if you want that to happen like it didn't happen then, throw your phone away for a little while. Shut it off. Set it. You know, it's okay. There are times like my, my phone's just somewhere else in my house, and my kids are like, "Oh, your dad, you got a, got a message." I don't care. I'm at home with you. We're having dinner. I don't. I don't care. We need to be able to slow down and prioritize what is important for our lives because we'll miss it if we're not careful, guys. We will absolutely miss it. 
face to face, eyeball to eyeball, right? Shoulder to shoulder, living this life together. We're going to see that in a minute too. It's so important. So we're in Acts chapter 2, looking at verses 42 uh, and following. See what happens here. They, the, we saw the, the disciples increased in number, right? People were like, wow, Jesus is awesome. We're gonna, we want Jesus. And when they believed in Jesus, they were baptized, and the church grew. And then it says they, that's the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And I will read a little more of this in a minute. They devoted themselves. So here's, here's my plug for the apostles' teaching, for church, coming under the authority of, of the one that, ones that God has placed in our lives to, to listen to the Word and grow in the Word. That's so important. Devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. What is that? This. Rightly preached, rightly taught. It is this. And what else? They devoted themselves to fellowship, right? So there's, now let's, let's actually have fellowship. Let's, let's be together in this. Not just a number and maybe someone that gets lost in the crowd. Let's be together in this. By the way, if you want to get lost in the crowd, you can easily do that. You don't have to fill out a welcome card. You don't have to meet with an elder after the service. If you want to, great, but you can totally fall through the cracks if you want to. That's not what God has for you. God has so much more for you. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer, right? That they remembered God through the elements of, of the bread and the wine, and they kept centralized on the fo- and focused on, on the offering that Christ was for them. And they prayed together. They devoted themselves to that. And then everyone, it says, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers, here's what happened. Now all the believers were together and held things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. This is deep fellowship. This is deep, vulnerable community. It said every day they they devoted themselves. It said every day. Say every day. How often did they do this? Every day. We are so lazy, aren't we? Oh, i got to go to church one day a week for an hour and a half. Oh, man, it's going to ruin my... Every day. Every day. What did they do? They devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and to break bread from house to house. Every day they were in community with each other. That's what the church is to be. That's what the church is to do. Every day, call somebody, text somebody, meet with somebody, a brother or sister. Be vulnerable in community with them. Every day, they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then what happened? I want you to understand how contagious that is, how mind-blowing that was then and how it is now. When you and I treat each other that way and make each other the priority that it is, it says, and the Lord, every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Amen? That God is not done. Again, our, our salvation and God's, God's redeeming us is not the end. It is the beginning. And, and I, I challenge you all the time, think back to your own salvation. Think back to that time when you came to the knowledge of your own sin and you trusted Christ as Savior because He was able to redeem that moment was not this moment epiphany of, of like, oh, I just found it by myself. You have, have people who have been reaching down and reaching down and pouring in and, and, and sharing the gospel with you all along your life. And you can, you can look back and identify them now. And maybe you haven't. Maybe you should. Maybe you should go and say, wow, look how God showed up through people. It wasn't just a pastor preaching on a Sunday morning. It was people who got face to face and got real and vulnerable with you and shared Jesus. And as we do that, God is going to 
to, God's glory is going to be seen and people are going to come hungry for that type of redemption in their lives. Amen? If it's happened to you, you should be hungry to give it away. But we've gotten a little bit numb, haven't we? We've gotten a little bit stuck in our ways. We'll, we'll sit here, we'll come, we'll be a number. I put in my time, I put in, I, I put in my dues. We'll let the people who are leaders do this stuff. And we'll just go about our business. The business is making, a, devoting ourselves to meeting with each other daily. Being vulnerable with each other daily. Loving each other deeply. Remembering and praising God and enjoying the favor of the brothers and sisters. And watch what God's going to do with that faithfulness. Do not forsake the gathering. Gather. Gather vulnerably with the body. Now we, we talk about it. It's not just in rows. It's in circles. And we've been promoting our small groups, our home Bible studies, our community groups, whatever, life groups, whatever you want to call them. They're, they're the circles. And there are sign-ups for them on the kiosk. You can join a group. If it's not a Sunday school class, get into a home Bible study. Sign up for one. Get in a place where you can be vulnerable. It's so important to do that. Number three, the next important aspect of vulnerable community is to share your lives, not only the gospel. See, this is kind of where we've gotten into rut. And by, by no, no means, like, hear me. I'm not saying, don't share the gospel, just live life together. That's not what I'm saying. In all that I'm saying, in all that Scripture says, keep the gospel central in everything. Because it's the power of God unto salvation. We have to continually hold fast and firm to the confession of faith. That's the hope that we have that's in Christ Jesus. Never let that go. Always keep it central. We have to keep the gospel central. But it's not just about keeping the gospel central as like, I know the truth. It's in knowing the truth, letting it shape and form your life. We should have a gospel-shaped faith, a gospel-shaped life that proceeds into all other avenues of relationship. And it always comes from the gospel, and it always goes back to the gospel. I'm going to be in 1 Thessalonians. Um, if you want to, eh, you can turn there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Share your lives, not only the gospel. So when I say not only the gospel, it is also included. It is paramount. Gospel first, and then we share our lives that come from the gospel, informed from that gospel, and go back to the gospel. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Paul writes, he says, We, we never use flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives, right? God is our witness. And we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. So Paul's setting the stage. He's like, we're not here to float our own boat. We're not here to, to boast about how great we are and to make you feel bad about yourself. That's not why Paul, and, and listen, that can, that can happen sometimes. Sometimes some of you are intimidated to come see a pastor or an elder or a Sunday school teacher. Like, they've got it all together and I'm going to be so ashamed. Not the truth. Ain't wrong, Right? We are not perfect. I sin and I struggle and I, I want to be more like Jesus every day. I am not going to judge you. I'm not going to hold it over your head. I'm not going to laugh at you. I'm going to, I'm going to be broken with you and we're going to, we're going to be in despair together and we're going to, or we'll rejoice together. But see, at those times of community, it's so important for us to, and we'll see in a minute, to bear those burdens together out of a sincere heart, a sincere faith. Don't not share lives together. But listen, we aren't going to go boldly and say, look how good I am, you're so bad. That's what Paul is saying. Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, because we're Christ, right? Instead, we were gentle among you as a nurse nurtures her own children. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God. Like, listen, we've got a message. It's a humdinger. You've got to listen to this. You've got to believe it. We're, we're wanting to share not only the message of the gospel, but also our own lives. 
because you had become so dear to us. That's the importance of community. That's vulnerable community. We enter into this relationship with one another as brothers and sisters, and we should hold each other dear to us. So we share not only the gospel, but our lives as well. Verse 9, For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers and sisters, working night and day so that we could not burden any of you. We preached God's gospel to you. Paul said, I'm going to do everything I can. I'll preach night and day, making sure it's totally clear I'm not here to lord it over you. That the gospel is totally clear, that you understand the grace of God and the depth of our love for you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you believers. Again, we don't want to lord it over. We don't want to outshine you. As you know, like a father with his own children, here's what they did. How they did this, how they shared their lives. We encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to live live a life worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. That's what sharing our lives together means. And that's what sharing our lives, keeping the gospel centered means. See, here's the difference. I can can enter into a group face-to-face in a circle, and we can get real with each other. You can share your boo-boos, and I can share my boo-boos, and we can cry about our boo-boos. But what did Paul say? There's encouragement and there's comfort there. That's great. And, we, and a lot of times we have that with our friends. We find encouragement or comfort and someone supported us, someone heard us, and we feel heard and we feel better. But if, there, if the next part's not there, it doesn't mean anything. See, in vulnerable community, it's not, just, it's not just the encouragement and comfort. And while we encouraged and comforted, we implored each of you to live a life worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Not only do we share the gospel, we, and that we share a gospel-centered and shaped life. We live it out encouraging one another, but we encourage one another back towards Jesus. And I met with someone between the services. I met with a couple people between the services. But as we talked and as, the, as they shared their heart, I, I want to encourage you in this. Like, you'll come and, and you'll be in that vulnerable community and you'll be, you'll be sharing your heart. You'll be sharing your burden. You'll be sharing your sin, whatever it is. And, and we'll begin to, to break and that room will begin to kind of weep and get somber. And, and will become downcast because of the depth of that depravity or the depth of that despair or the depth of the burden of that sin in your life. But here's our role. Our role is as we, as we come to that burden, as it come to that deep and, and deep dark place, that we would reach out and grab the chin and we would lift up the chin and we would focus our eyes and lift our eyes to Jesus. And He's the author and perfecter of our faith. That we, we would go back to Him and we would find joy in Him and find hope in Him and find grace in Him. That's what vulnerable community does. We can deceive ourselves and say, oh, I'm, I'm being transparent. Great, you're being transparent. What was done with what you shared? Was it honed by the Word of God? Was it prayed over by God's people? Did people grab onto you and pull you out of the mire and the muck and, and rinse you out off and, and lift up your chin and lift up your head to see the Lord more brightly? That's what vulnerable community does. And it's so, so important not just to share the gospel, but to share our lives together as we point people to the gospel. Romans, Paul tells us, love should be without hypocrisy. Detest evil, cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Now, for some of you, maybe you're, you're a high schooler or a junior higher, and you're like, I don't love my brother or sister. They're a pain, right? I get it. Like, how, that doesn't mean I should, oh, you want me to love people like I love my brother and sister? Okay. That's not going to go well, right? But, but you know, there's a deep love between a brother and sister. And if you're in that place of really a hardship in your life, take heart. 
right? That relationship is typically forever, right? You, they can't not be your brother anymore or sister. And eventually there will be a, a kindred spirit there, a heart. Like I, I, my brother and I were at odds often when we were growing up. I mean, it was like at odds, physically at odds on the floor with each other, pounding each other. Just like that's how we were until I graduated and moved out. And then things were better, right? Because there weren't two of us doing that. But at that point, our relationship started to change, and we actually could be in a relationship that was solid and, and honest and open. And I love my brother to death. I mean, he and I are great buddies, great friends. We don't see eye to eye on everything. That's okay. We don't have to agree on everything. But I have a deep love, as we should have. We should have a deep love for our brothers and sisters. And this, this here, this is talking about actual brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? We have this deep love for our brothers and sisters. What, what else does that love look like? What does that life together look like? Outdo one another, showing honor, Paul says. Don't lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. That's what living this life together should look like. It says, share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Pursue hospitality. We should have an open-door policy in our lives, right? Hey, you, yeah, you want to come in? You want to come to my house and have dinner? You want to meet at the coffee shop? We want to have a conversation with a small group? Whatever it is, let's be hospitable. Let's share with the other saints, the brothers and sisters who might be in need. Now, I want, I want us to make a clarification here. I'm not in Scripture, not just peeking, uh, picking on the weak. We might think we're just like, I'm just so downcast. I'm so, I'm so burdened with who I am and that I'm, I'm a horrible person and I, have ne- I can never live up. And there's obviously people that I should be looking up to and, and finding help from. And it's, it's horrible. Poor me. Listen, God always starts with the weak. He always starts with the weak. And he, he goes to the weak and he tends to the weak and he, he helps the weak and he takes the heavy burdens off. He says, come to me. You are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. See, he, he gives peace to those who are weak. He gives strength to those who are weak. He gives, gives the ability to have hope and joy to those who are weak. If you're weak, good. You're in good company. God's ready to use you. God's ready to grab onto you. Just because someone might be stronger in their faith doesn't mean they haven't been weak or aren't weak now. They're just maybe weak in a different area. But it's great to have people who have gone there before. I love that marriage conference. I, I, I hear it as another shameless plug. People who are, are speakers there, Listen, they have had struggles upon struggles upon struggles, and they share them. It is so encouraging to hear, I'm not the only one. Oh, thank you, Jesus, right? Isn't that encouraging to know when you're not the only one? It's amazing that other people have gone before, and, they, and that's, that's the importance of being a disciple who makes disciples. I want to facilitate vulnerable communities so you know, and as I share my heart and my struggles and my failures, you'll know that you're not alone. But you also know where my help came from. I lift my eyes up to the mountain. That's where my help comes from, to the mountain of God. Paul goes on, or he talk, talks about it in Romans. I, I want us to see this, this relationship, because we think we might be the worst. We're not. And, and what's the relationship look like between a seasoned or a spiritually strong, mature Christian and maybe a weaker one? What should that look like? Paul says this in Romans 1. He says, For I want, I want to see you very much, so that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. It's like, just like Paul. This is the Apostle Paul, wrote most of the New Testament, right? He's Pastor Paul, and he has a wise thing to say. He knows the gospel. He knows Jesus. And he's going to tell us something. I mean, if he was our guest speaker, I'd be like, yes, stay here forever. We're just going to sit here and listen to you. But what does he say? He says, I, I want to be with you so that I might impart some spiritual strength to you. That is, and he clarifies, that is to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. That's the relationship that we ought to have with one another. 
I, I'm, not, I'm not Pastor Brandon. I'm, I'm Brandon. I'm down here. We are to share and encourage one another in our str- and strengthen one another by our faith. It doesn't matter how strong I am or not, or how strong you are or not. When we come together in vulnerable community, it's that you and I might be mutually encouraged in our faith by the Lord Jesus and by what God's done in our hearts. Amen? That's what living this life together is about. It's sharing our lives, not only the gospel. It's not enough for someone to get up and preach and tell you how bad you are. That we need to see it has changed hearts and lives, and we can enter into that community, that relationship with one another, and see what God might change and do in us as well. We're to be a disciple. We're also to make disciples and live life together in community. Number four, in vulnerable community, we are to confess our sins to one another. And I know that's, that's not a, a fun section, right? When we, you saw number four, you're like, I hope he doesn't get to number four. I'm going to get out of here. We don't want to confess our sins to one another. That's brutal at times, right? It's, it's, so, it's humiliating. That's what humility, humility comes from. I've been humiliated, and I've, I've let God redeem that. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. I want us to clearly understand what this verse is talking about. I, I preached on James, I don't know, six, eight years ago during the summer uh, time, and, and I went through this text, and, and we think, oh, I'm, I'm feeling under the weather, or I have cancer, or I have an ailment. If I, if I just would let someone pray for me in this way, I'd confess my sin and pray, I'll be healed physically. That's not what this verse is talking about. And I, I got in trouble last time I said that. I'll probably get in trouble today. The, look at what it says. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you would be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is very powerful in its effect. The healing is talking about our spiritual condition, that we have sin within and we have sin without, and that when we confess our sin and let, let those people in vulnerable community take that burden on and pray for us, that's when healing begins. I, now listen, I'll, I'll throw this in there too. I, I totally understand God can heal us from physical maladies. I, God can heal. That's not what this passage is talking about. It is talking about my spiritual condition. If you want to grow, we need to humble ourselves. You need to humble yourself and confess your sin to others that, that you would commit that to prayer, that they would commit that to prayer so you can be healed. I, I want to read a, a passage out of Proverbs chapter 28 because this really has to do with, with the attitude of confessing our sin. We don't like to do that, right? We don't want to go and, and just show off. Say, oh, I'm going to be exposed. Listen, everyone's exposed. and Everyone at, at the last day will be totally exposed. We understand we all have sin. When you enter into that relationship, you, when you have that person in front of you you're grabbing that hand of, that person should be mature enough and capable enough to handle your sin graciously and lovingly. Still filled with grace, still filled with truth, pointing you to Jesus, pointing you to obedience, but not lording it over you, making you feel bad about your own sin. Because here's what I know. I know the depth of my own sin. I know how ugly my heart is and has been. And, I, and there's no way I can hold your sin over you. Because I have it in my heart too. But God is the redeemer of that. Proverbs says this, The one who conceals his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. Isn't that amazing? And that mercy should be found in our groups. That mercy should be found in our discipleship relationships. When I confess my sin, I find mercy there. Happy is the one who is always reverent, but the one who hardens his heart falls into trouble. So the, the one who conceals his sin is the same one who hardens his heart. So why do we conceal our sin? Why do we not confess our sins to one another? Well, one is, I don't want to deal with it. 
I want to keep sinning. I'm happy there, right? And I have a hard heart, it says, against God. I want, I'm going to fall into trouble. Listen, if you want to conceal your sin, if you want to have a hard heart, you're going to fall into trouble and you're not going to prosper. You're not going to grow. Make your choice. Just know that's the outcome. Have fun while you do it, but you're not going to prosper and grow. But whoever confesses and renounces those sins will find mercy. Mercy is that unmerited favor. I, I, God giving us what we do not deserve. Or actually, it's, it's not getting from God what we do deserve. Happy is the one who's always reverent. So there's that blessed and happy attitude that you and I can have as we confess our sins and receive mercy. Discipleship should be a mercy-giving time, a grace-giving time that points us to the truth of God and, and that we should move towards Him that we handle each other's sin well. But it, vulner, real, true vulnerability has to start with this kind of humility, though. It has to start with saying, I want to be done with the sin. If you want to be done with the sin, then confess that sin. Confess it to those who are in your group or in your, that one person that's above you. Confess it and let, let them commit it to prayer and pray for you and point you to the word of God that you would be delivered from that. Confess your sins. Number, number five. Number five. We are to be in vulnerable community. We are to bear one another's burdens. We're to bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6, 1 through 2. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in a wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you, uh, that you also won't be tempted. Carry another, one another's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. So there is this relationship that we have each other's back, right? We're watching out for one another. And if you're in sin, I want to come and say, listen, you're headed in the wrong way. You're going to go off a cliff. It's, you're taking your family with you. Stop. Please stop that sin. Please, for the love of God, stop sinning. We, we should do that and watch out for one another. And, and then whatever that burden is, whatever that despair, whatever is leading to that sin or, or that sin in general, we are to carry those burdens one with another and lighten that load. I, I always bring this up. I remember when Stan did marriage counseling, premarital counseling for, for my wife and I before we got married. He explained how when we get married and the two become one flesh and that there's two people now instead of one, that, that the joys would be multiplied and the sorrows and grief and struggles would be cut in half because you have someone there to bear it with you. How, how much more do we have with the body of Christ, with our brothers and sisters, as we sit in circles, face to face, eyeball to eyeball, bearing one another's burdens? We've first gone to God, right? We've first gone to Him. He says, come to me, you are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest, right? And He gives us rest, and He, gives, he, he says, my burden is, is, or my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What He gives us back is not the heavy load that we carried. He carried the load for us on the cross, but then you and I, the load we carry is we carry the load to carry one another's burdens and to help support each other and push each other towards Jesus, towards deeper faith in Jesus. And it's different than what the experts of the law, the, those spiritual leaders look like. Jesus said that in Luke. He said in, in Luke eleven forty six, 46, talking to the spiritual leaders of the day, the ones who are supposed to be examples, the ones who were supposed to help people find, find this relief from their burden. He says, then he said, woe also to you experts of the law. You load people with burdens that are hard to carry, and yet you yourselves don't touch these burdens with one of your fingers. You see, you and I are not in the business of putting burdens on people. We are there to, to be in a community, a vulnerable community, where we carry one another's burdens, where we say, I'm in, I'm ready, put it on the back, let's go, let's, let's carry this together and give it to God. That's what we're to do. We're, we're not to not lift a finger, we're to do something, and, and, and we're not to put loads on people, we're to help take them 
off of their backs. The final passage, Romans chapter 15, and you can read this in its entirety later on. Now, uh, Paul says, Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Like, look how good I am, right? Uh, each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. You see, bearing each other's burdens is about building each other up. It's about reaching out your hand and saying, come on, get up. Let's, let's, go, let's get a little, little taller here. Let's, get a little, uh, let's grow a little bit more in our maturity. Let's see Jesus in more focus. That's what we're to do. So each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. In verse 5, later on, it says, Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement, endurance and encouragement, awesome things we need to have, right? Grant you to live in harmony with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that, here's the, so that. Why? Why, do, why is this important? Why is discipleship important? Why is, why is entering into vulnerable community important? Well, certainly it's, it's for your spiritual well-being, your health, your growth in Christ. But overarching all of that, it's so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. That when we enter into and find that unity we talked about in Ephesians, that we will come to that fullness of maturity as measured in the fullness of Christ, then He will be glorified. People will look at us and say, how great is their God. I want what they have. I want to see the glorious riches and mercy of Jesus Christ realized in my own life in my own family, in my own situation. When we can deal in vulnerable community and be disciples who also make disciples, the world will see and the world will want to follow Jesus. Amen? All right, let's stand and pray together. <clears throat> Father, we are thankful for your great, great love for us. God, that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And God, we, we hold on to the gospel. It is the central key, key and component to everything that we believe. God, without Christ and him crucified and risen for our salvation, that if, through faith and belief in Jesus, that we can have a right relationship with him. Without that, we have nothing. We have some principles and some standards that we just can't live up to. But God, help us to embrace Jesus and hold on to that confession of faith and hope without wavering. And God, as we do that, push us into vulnerable community. God, humble our hearts, break our hearts, that the burden of sin in our life would be taken off and, and would be expelled and exposed, exposed and expelled from our heart with those we're in community with. God, help us to be gracious as disciples who are, are looking to disciple other people. And God, that we would be compassionate and filled with grace, but also filled with truth, always lifting up heads and hearts and eyes to see Jesus. And God, help us determine who, who is our one that's in front of us. Who are we being accountable with? Who are we going to for our own exposure to be vulnerable? God, help us be disciples who make disciples of all nations. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we close our service, we